My name is Paul Wren. As you can see, I'm with the band. Um, I'll be doing today's wording, reading today, too. Uh, if you would turn to Acts uh, 17, verse 16, we'll be going up through 34. While you're doing that, I'll mention that my wife, Laura, is in the back doing Pro Presenter. My daughter, Carrie, is playing keyboard. And Laura and I have been coming to cross, or to, sorry, to Northwest since uh, 2007. And we love this as our church home, and we'll be going for the foreseeable future. We, we're very committed here. So, Acts 16, Acts 17, verse 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the object of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their, their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has a fixed day on which he will judge the, word, the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now then, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some, some men joined him and believed. Among him were also Dionysius the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris and others with them. Well, 
good morning. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here. Thanks for doing that reading, Paul. And uh, what an awesome testimony from Sudakar. Thanks so much for sharing your story with us. Um, so as a, as a church, we're going to be jumping into a sermon series on the book of Genesis in two weeks. So two weeks we're starting Genesis, but today we're looking at Acts 17. And the reason we're looking at Acts 17 is because I think that something in Acts 17, which is connected to what Sudakar was sharing, I think there's something in that passage that God wants to say to us as a church as we think about what type of church he wants us to be in 2023 and moving forward. So there was a, how many of y'all were at the block party that we had for our church this past summer? We, had, we invited neighbors, we said, hey, if you want to come, get to know us, uh, come see our building plans, we'd love to meet you. Um, we had a block party, it was like a kind of a cookout, we had different types of food there, and there were a number of people from the community that came just to, just to hang out, and we were able to get to know them. And there's this one, this one little boy that I remember, he, he's literally, see, he's a, he's a young Indian boy, and he's probably about the same age as my oldest daughter, Valerie, she's eight years old, he was eight to ten, somewhere in there. And um, he came with his family, his family is, is Indian, and they literally live, if you're in the church if you're standing in the church parking lot, you could literally look across the street and, and see their house. And so they came over and they were interested in what was going on. And so I started talking to this little boy and I said, hey, you know, what, what did you do this morning? Just trying to strike up a conversation with him. And he said, well, uh, this morning I went to the temple. So that's, that's interesting. So I asked him, well, which temple did you go to? What type of temple was it? And he said it was a, it was a Hindu temple. Because me and my, my family were, were Hindu. So I thought, oh, that's interesting. So I asked him again. I said, well, what, you, I've never been to a Hindu temple before. Tell me, tell me what you did at the temple. What did, you do, what did you do at the temple this morning? And he says just very matter-of-factly, oh, I made a god this morning. It's like, you made a god? What? what what do you mean? Well, how, how, do you, how do you make a God? And he starts to tell me, well, they gave us some, some, some clay. They gave us some, uh, something to, to kind of mold together, and we took it in our hands. And we, you know, each, each of the kids in my, I guess, their Sunday school class, like, had this little piece of, of moldable material, and he, and he kind of forms it into the shape of, of this God. And he's going to go and take it back home, and he's going to, I guess he's going to pray to it. Maybe he's going to put it in the part of his house, like Sudakar said his family had growing up, where they, where they keep their idols, the gods that they worshipped. And I, I never really talked to anybody like that before. That was a unique experience, thinking about going to Sunday school and making a God that you're going to take back to your house to worship and pray for. Now, maybe some of you have had conversations with Hindu people, maybe a, a coworker, maybe a, uh, a neighbor, maybe a classmate. But if you haven't, my guess is that you're probably going to have some interactions with Hindu people in the, in the near future. There are, so according to recent census data, there's over 60,000 Indian people, people from, from South Asia, South Asian Indians that live in the Triangle, over 60,000. And by far, the, the dominant religion in, in India is, is Hinduism. The largest, the largest Hindu temple in North America, 
I'm going to try to get this name right. The largest Hindu temple in North America is called the Sri Venkateswara. I'm sure I'm butchering that. The Sri Venkateswara Temple. It's located in Cary, North Carolina. Now, Hindu people have, just like Christians, there can be a spectrum of different things that, that Hindus believe. But among other things, Hindus believe in millions of gods, hundreds of millions of gods. They tend to believe in karma. You have to get your good deeds to outweigh your bad deeds. They believe in reincarnation, that if you have good karma, you're going to come back with a better life in the next life. And so as we think about, as we think about being disciples of Jesus Christ, that God has placed right here in, in Cary, North Carolina in 2023, we're going to have to figure out what does it look like for us to be faithful to Jesus as disciples of Jesus as we think about living in a place that more and more we're going to be surrounded by people like Sudhakar and his family when they were growing up that are worshiping idols, that are worshiping false gods, maybe even gods that they made at Sunday school this morning. Maybe gods that they're making in Sunday school at the Hindu temple right now while our kids are, are hearing about Jesus at Northwest Kids. So that's the question we're talking about today. How are we going to respond as disciples of Jesus as we increasingly see more and more people around us that are worshiping idols? And we're looking at this passage that Paul just read, looking at Acts 17. Because in Acts 17, in the passage that, that Paul just read, it's an example of where the Apostle Paul in the New Testament we see the way, we see what he does when he encounters people, when he encounters a culture, lots of people around him that are worshiping idols. And so we're going to look at two things. We're going to look at what Paul does when he encounters a culture that worships idols. And then we're, from that, we're going to look at that example and see what can we do as a, as a family of disciples making disciples, as disciples of Jesus here at Northwest Community Church, what can we do? What is our responsibility towards people in our community, our neighbors, our coworkers, our classmates, who are, who are currently worshiping idols, whether it's Hinduism or whether it's some other religion? Well, so we're going to see two things, that, or see three things that Paul does uh, as he's interacting with, these, with these, these people who worship idols. So the Apostle Paul, as many of you probably know, he was raised as a Jewish scholar, and teacher. He was a Pharisee. And at the beginning, he thought that Christianity was a cult. And he hated Christianity. He thought they're perverting Judaism. And so he made it his mission to try to stamp out Christianity. But then one day, he has an encounter with Jesus where he sees Jesus, Jesus risen from the dead, and that changed everything. And Paul went from being somebody who's trying to hunt down and persecute Christians to being somebody who wants to tell everybody about Jesus and who's following Jesus himself, okay? And so the Apostle Paul, he's going around to these different places, and what he's doing here, he's in the city of Athens. And he's got a, about a week or so, he's got a few days to kill, he's waiting on some friends, and he's, he's got a few days to kill here in, in Athens, this city that's full of idols, and, and we'll see what happens. I want to share three things with you that Paul does. He notices, he has conversations, and then he shares the gospel. First of all, he notices. It says in verse 16, Now when Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. There was once a Roman official who was visiting the city of Athens during, during this time in the first century. 
And after he left, he joked that in Athens, it's easier to find a god than a man. What he means is, if you're looking out at the city of Athens, you can, there's just statues of idols all over the place. They had idols to all the gods they could imagine. Zeus, Hermes, Athena, Ares. They had idols everywhere you look. It's easy. You look out and you're going to see more statues to idols in the streets than you'll see men and women walking around. And what does it say that Paul's response was? It says in verse 16, it says that his heart, his spirit in him was provoked, was provoked within him. What does this mean? It doesn't mean that he's mad at him. It doesn't mean that he wants to fight him or something like that. It means he's walking around. He's looking at these people who are these precious human beings who are made in the image of God, who were made by their creator to worship him. But instead of worshiping their creator, they're making these things out of wood and out of silver and out of gold, and they're putting them in their house, and they're bowing down and worshiping them. And Paul's saying, this is not right. He's upset. It says later in chapter 17 and verse 22, it says one of the things that Paul is walking around, as he's walking around, as he's exploring the city that he sees, he sees out of all the idols, they had one idol that was the statue, the idol to the unknown God. They said, what's that about? Well, they thought, well, we want to make sure we have all our bases covered. And we, we have idols to all the gods we know of, but what if there's a God we don't know of? We don't want him to be mad at us. So here, and I'm guessing it was kind of like that generic avatar that you have if you don't log in to, to like Google or YouTube. Maybe it was just like a, a smooth, I don't know what it looked like. But it was to the unknown God, just in case. Just in case. So Paul's walking around, he sees this, and he says, this is not right. This is not right. That's the first thing he does is he notices what's going on around him. The second thing he does in verse 17 is he has conversations. In verse 17 it says, So he reasoned in the synagogues with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. So Paul's kind of, his MO when he would go to a city, what he would typically do, he would go to the synagogue. He'd go to the Jewish place of, of worship, and that's where he would meet people who were raised very similar to him probably had a similar language, had a similar culture, had a similar worldview. And so what Paul would typically do when he goes to a new city is he would go into the synagogue and he would open up the, the Jewish scriptures and he would teach people about Jesus from the Old Testament scriptures. That was what Paul did all the time. That was Paul's comfort zone. That was what he was very, very comfortable doing. But look at what else he does. He doesn't just go this time when he sees the city full of idols. He doesn't just go to the synagogue where he's going to meet people who are like him, who talk like him, who think like him. It says, not only in the synagogue, and also every day in the marketplace with whoever happened to be there. So Paul gets out of his comfort zone, and he goes to the marketplace where all these, these people that maybe they just came from, from the temple, they just came from worshiping, these people who are worshiping these false gods, I mean, anybody and everybody is in the marketplace, and it says that he reasoned with them. This word reasoned in the original language is the word dialogamai. It, it's where we get our word dialogue from. So it's saying he's talking with them. He's having a conversation. So what does this conversation look like? Well, 
I'm guessing Paul was probably asking them some questions. He was probably asking them questions like, hey, tell me, tell me which of these gods, of all these gods that you worship in this city, that are worshipped in this city, which one is your favorite? Which one do you go to most often? Maybe he's asking questions like, you know, when you worship that God, when you worship that God, what do you do? Do you bring a, an offering? Do you bring a set? What, what, what do you do? And why do you do it? What do you think is going to happen? What are you expecting to happen when you offer that sacrifice to Ares or to Hermes or to, or to whomever? Maybe ask them a question like, what do you think God is like? What do you think God really looks like? What do you think God is really like? Maybe ask them questions like, what do you think happens after we die? And I'm sure at the same time, Paul had, had chances to, to talk about his experience too. So he's asking them questions. He's getting to know them. He's probably saying, hey, what's this whole unknown God thing about? Tell me about that. And they're probably asking him questions too. And he had a chance to share that, well, yeah, I mean, I was raised Jewish. I thought Christianity was a bunch of BS. I thought it was a cult. But then I met Jesus after he rose from the dead. And now I'm a follower of him. Okay, so he's, he's noticing, he's having conversations with people who believe very differently from him. He's asking questions to them. And as he has an opportunity, he's sharing, he's sharing his experience with them too. And the third thing that he does the third thing that Paul does is he shares the gospel. So what happens is, as Paul is having these conversations in the marketplace with all of these different people, whoever happens to be passing by, um, there were some of the, the lead philosophers, the Stoics and the Epicureans, who they're kind of like the, the professors slash uh, religious leaders slash government officials of, uh, of Athens. And so they hear what he's saying, and they think it's interesting. And so they invite Paul to the Areopagus. The Areopagus in Athens is this place where people would come together to talk about important things. So basically what they're doing, they hear what he's saying, and they say, Paul, we want you to come and give a formal presentation about this, this Jesus that you're talking about. Tell us what you believe, and we're going to give you this, this space to do it. And so Paul so Paul, he comes. So he's noticed, he's had conversations, and those conversations led to exactly what Sudakar was talking about, where as you're having conversations, you're asking questions, eventually, very often, somebody says, well, hey, what do you think? Oh, that's interesting. Tell me more about that. Let's look at what he says. When Paul, when Paul shares the gospel with them, what does he do? What does he talk about? Well, first he talks about God. He talks about God in verse 22. It says, so Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, he said, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. You see how respectful he is? He starts off, he's looking at these people that are worshiping idols, and he compliments them. He says, hey, you, you take spiritual things really seriously, and I respect that, because I do too. And he says, for as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, so noticing, as I was noticing these things, I found also an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. So he says, what therefore you worship is unknown, I proclaim to you. So he goes on to tell them about God. He says, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of the heavens and the earth, does not live in temples made by man. So what he's telling them is, God doesn't need you to make him. God made you. 
He's telling them, your view of God is way too small. God isn't this thing that you, that, that you carved out of stone or you made out of wood or you kind of formed out of clay and then bowed down to. God is the creator of heaven and earth. He doesn't live in temples because the whole universe is his temple. And he says, nor is he served by human hands as if he needed anything since he himself gives life to all of mankind. He's saying, God doesn't need us to give him milk. God doesn't need us to give him a piece of bread as an offering. He gives us milk. He gives us bread. Everything we have comes from him. He doesn't need us to serve him. He created us. That's the first thing he talks about God. He also talks about humanity. He says in verse 26, he says, And this God who made the heavens and the earth, he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth. So he's saying, hey, you know what? You and I are the same. You might look different from me. You might believe differently from me. You might have a different accent than me. But we're all made by one God. We're all created by him to live on his earth. And he says not only did God create us as one humanity, he also is sovereign over us. He says that he created us to live on the face of the earth, in verse 26, having determined and allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him to find him. So he's saying that God created you and God put you on this earth so that you would pursue God, so that you can seek God. But let me tell you, right now, this, word, this phrase he uses, you know, he, feeling your way towards him, it's like you're in a dark room, as if all the lights were out, and you can't see at all, and you're just kind of like groping in the darkness, trying to, feel, okay, here's the wall, okay, here's the door. He's saying, yeah, God created you to seek him, but, but you're lost. You're groping around in the darkness. You're more lost than maybe you even, you even realize. So he tells them about God, he tells them about humanity, and finally he tells them about Jesus. He says, for in him we live and we move and we have our being. For some of your own poets have even said, for we are his offspring. Being God's offspring, we ought not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and the imagination of man. So he's saying that there's a way to, to seek God and find him. There's a way to God. There's a way to be in the right relationship with God. But it's not through these idols. Well, how is it? He says, the times of ignorance God has overlooked, but now he commands all peoples everywhere to repent because he's fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So what he's saying is that if you want to get to God, if you want to get to God, there is a way, and that way is Jesus. And he says, the times of ignorance God has overlooked. He says, God has been patient with you for a long time. God didn't look down and see people worshiping false gods and just go, you know, zap, bolt of lightning, you're done. He, he didn't go Sodom and Gomorrah on them, right? God was patient. God has been patient. But one day judgment is coming. And the only way to be, to be saved, to be in a right relationship with God, is through this man, Jesus Christ, that he's appointed as the judge and as the king. And by the way, if you're wondering how we know that he's that man, well, God's proved it by raising him from the dead. So 
Paul is, he notices, he has a conversation, and then when he has the opportunity, he shares the gospel. He tells them about who God is. God isn't this kind of little piddly thing that you made. God's the creator. But he also is interested in you. He made you to know him, to seek him. And the only way you can find him is through Jesus Christ. And so repent. Turn away from these idols and turn to, and turn to him. So this is what Paul does. This is how Paul responds when he's in a place that's full of idols. You know, I, I really don't think, Matt said this earlier, and it's not an accident that any of us are here. And I, I really believe that it's also not an accident that God has put our church um, right here in Cary, North Carolina. In fact, it said earlier in this passage, in verse 26, that he has determined the boundaries and the dwelling places of people. And so we look around and we see more and more people around us, these precious human beings who remain the image of God, that God loves but that are lost in the darkness. And we ask the question, why would God put us here? And how are we, we've seen what Paul does, what can we do to respond? What can we do to be like Sudaku was talking about, that light on a hill that points people to God? What can we do? What can you do? What can I do? What can we as a church do? I think we can do the same three things that Paul did. We can notice, we can have conversations, and then when we have the opportunity, we can share the gospel. You know, when you see somebody who's different from you, who has a different culture, who, has a, who looks a little bit different, it, it can be easy just to say, oh, that's a, that's a different type of person. And not really notice specifics, not really learn their name, not really, not really notice how they're dressing or, or, or what they're doing or how they, how they carry themselves. But the first thing we're going to do, the first thing we need to do, if, if we want to be used by God to be that light on the hill for the thousands of Hindu people around us, we need to start noticing what's going on spiritually around us. Here's one thing that I noticed the other day. I was at the YMCA, and there was this, this man, probably 40s, 50s, and he had this, this really cool-looking gold chain on. And the gold chain had a, had a pendant, and there was, there was something carved on the pendant. And he, he, was, uh, he was from South Asia. He was, he was Indian. And, and so I asked him, I said, hey, I, I, love, your, I love your necklace. Like, what's, what, is, what is that? He goes on to tell me, oh, this is one of the Hindu gods that I, that I worship. Um, yeah, this is, I, I wear this for protection. Something else I noticed is when I go to the Spices Hut. You guys know the Spices Hut? It's the Indian grocery store that's right on Green Level Church Road. I was walking down the aisle in the Spices Hut the other day. And it's, every time I've been in there, it's very full, by the way. There's lots of people that go there. I was walking down the aisle, and they've got, you know, 
fruits and vegetables, they've got uh, spices, they have different things. And then there, but there's this aisle, and you know how it says like, you know, milk or butter or snacks or whatever on the little, on, on the sign above the aisle? Uh, the, the aisle? <laughs> this is what it said. It said, God frames. G-O-D-F-R-A-M-E-S. And that's what, you know, over here is the fruit, over here is the rice. This is where you get your God frames. Now, I, don't, I don't know what a God frame exactly is, but I know when I walked down that aisle, there were these, lots of these different, very colorful, very ornately carved um, statues of these different gods, like, like Ganesh. That's another thing that I noticed. Another thing I noticed, so I, I mentioned that the Sri Venkateswara Temple, the largest Hindu temple in North America is in Cary, North Carolina. Uh, so I had the chance to, to go and just kind of walk around and see what it was like. Um, just kind of like, like Paul, going around the city, walking around, uh, observing and noticing. One thing I noticed, first of all, it's really beautiful. It's gorgeous. You should, you should go see it. And there are these different altars. And one of them that I saw in particular, um, it, it, was, it was about this, this tall. And it was kind of square and then had a, had a statue figure in front of it. And there was an inscription on it, and it said the name of the God, and I don't remember what the name was. But, but it said, this is the God that if you, if you worship this God, if you sacrifice this God, it will give you fertility and blessing. But then it had instructions that said, hey, this, these are the types of drinks you can bring to the God. But make sure that you put it in the right place. Because if you don't put it in the right place, if you put it too far to the right or too far to the left and not in the right spot, you won't get the blessing. The God is particular. And I saw several different cups and canisters of, of different drinks and different packets of food and some, some fruits and things like that that people had taken and, and put in front of this statue, um, hoping that, expecting that this God in return would give them fertility, would give them blessing. What are some things you notice when you look around you? How can you be more aware of the lives of Hindu people around you? Maybe you have a, an Indian or a Hindu coworker or a classmate or a neighbor. How can you be more aware of the, the lives of people around you who believe different things from you? You know, m maybe, like I was saying, I went to the temple and just kind of walked around. Maybe you, maybe, maybe you go take a tour of the temple, just to, not to worship, but just to, just, to, just to observe what's going on there, just to learn. Maybe next time you're in the library or you're at school or you're at the grocery store and you see a Diwali display, and it has some information about, oh, this is the history of Diwali. Like, maybe you go and you, you pick up a flyer and you, and, and you take a look. Again, not to worship, just to, just to notice, just to, just to learn. Maybe next time you're at an Indian restaurant, having some, some, some delicious food, maybe you notice what's on the walls. And say, oh, that's this beautiful artwork on the walls. I, I wonder if this has any religious significance. I wonder if any of these things on the walls are actually Hindu gods. 
That's the first thing we can do is notice. The second thing we can do is have conversations. I love what Sudakar said that you know, the best way to share the gospel is to have conversations, to have dialogue with people. You know, I, I told you about my, my young Hindu friend, the, the little boy that lives across the street. And, you know, I, I could have just kind of said, oh, hey, how's it going? Do you like soccer? Oh, okay, yeah, me too. And that would have been the end of it. But instead, I, I tried to have a conversation with him. I, I tried to ask him some questions. I didn't just go straight for, if you died tonight, do you know with 100%? I didn't do, do that thing. But what I did, I, try, I asked him questions to try to get to know him a little bit better to give him an opportunity to open up and so I could understand him more. So I asked him, remember what I asked him? I said, hey, what did you do this morning? What did you, you do today? What's your day like today? I didn't know what he was going to say. That's a good way to get to know somebody, what they do today. Then I asked him, and he said, oh, I went to the temple. Could have stopped there. But I said, oh, yeah, that's interesting. Tell me more. What type of temple was it? So what was a Hindu temple? That's interesting. See, I'm, we're having a spiritual conversation. I haven't told him anything about what I believe. I'm just drawing him out and listening to him. He says, well, it was a Hindu temple and we made a God. And I didn't at that point say, well, that's bad. You shouldn't worship idols. And I said, well, tell me about this God that you made. Having a conversation. Right, just having a conversation. Maybe the best way for you to have a conversation with Hindu people around you, you know, maybe you have a neighbor. Maybe you have neighbors down the street who are, who are Indian, possibly Hindu. Maybe you invite them over for dinner. You know, and it, it might feel a little bit like Paul, you know, going from the synagogue where he gets out of his comfort zone and he goes into the marketplace and wait, these people, they sound a little bit different, they look a little bit different, they think a little bit different. But maybe you have them over and just, just get to know them a little bit better. Maybe you have a, an Indian or a Hindu coworker that you could get lunch with next time, sometime this week. What can you do to intentionally put yourself in a situation where you can have conversations with, with Hindu people, where, like Sudhakar was talking about, maybe you can even say, oh, that's so interesting what you're talking about. You know, in the Old Testament, actually, there was a temple, and this is the God that was worshipped, but there was only one God, and then this is what happened later. Maybe you can start to draw some of those connections. And number three, to share the gospel. You know, I had a, there was a young man. Um, this young man was a, he is a, a Sikh, actually. He's from, he's from the northern part of India. And he was explaining to me that, that being a Sikh is very similar to being a Hindu, but it's a little bit different. And at one point in our conversation, we're just talking. I'm understanding him. He's understanding me. At one point in our conversation, he just asked me, he said, Sir Ryan, tell me about, tell me what Christianity is about. What does it mean to be a Christian? You know, kind of similar to what happened to Paul. Having a conversation, somebody said, hey, tell us more about that. Explain, explain the whole thing to us. And so I did. I mean, briefly, two, three minutes, I told him, this is what it means to be a disciple of, of Jesus. This is what we believe. So if you were having a conversation with a Hindu person, and the Hindu person in this conversation said, hey, you know what? This is really interesting. Tell me, what, tell me what a Christian believes. What does it mean to be a Christian? It's a good question to ask yourself. Would, would, you, know, would you know what to say? Like Paul was talking about. What Paul talks about is this is who God is. This is who humanity is. This is who Jesus is. What are you going to do about it? That's how Paul shares the gospel. Do you know 
what you would say if somebody asked you, hey, tell me what this whole Christianity thing is all about. You know, maybe you'd say, hey, that sounds really intimidating to me. If that feels really intimidating, I'd love to, to talk to you. Matt would love to talk to you. David would love to talk to you. We'd love to help train you in just some really basic ways. How do you explain what it means to be a Christian in two or three minutes? How would you do that so that you'll be prepared if and when that happens? So what we saw from Paul, he notices his heart is stirred up. He's upset when he sees this idolatry. He notices, he has conversations, and he shares. And I believe in 2023 and beyond, I'm praying that God is going to continue to give us more and more opportunities as a church to notice, to have conversations, and share the gospel with Hindu people around us. You know, I, I started this, I started today by talking about um, by talking about that little boy that I had the conversation with. That little boy that told me, you know, what'd you do today? Oh, I made, I made a God. I made, I made a, look at that cute little God. Let me put him, put him right here. My little God. And I, I'll be honest, you know, it says that Paul, his spirit was provoked. As I was talking to this little boy, again, this precious, beautiful little boy that's the same age as my daughter that maybe your kids are in a soccer league with or go to school with. Maybe you live very close to him. I'm talking to this little boy and he's telling me about this little this little God that he that he worships. And I, I got I was upset. It bothered me. It bothers me. And I'm not mad at him, but the reason it bothers me, this is the reason it bothers me. One day that little boy is going to grow up, and he's going to need guidance in life. And he's going to go to this little God and say, hey, what should I do with my life? Show me the direction to go. You know what that God's going to say? That God's going to say, and one day, one day he, he might get sick. He might get cancer. Somebody in his family might get cancer. And he's going to go to, you know, little, cute little, you know, DIY God here. And and say, oh, please heal, heal my mother, or heal my wife, or heal my son. And you know what that God's going to say? That God's going to say, and one day he's going to be thinking about, gosh, what happens after I die? And he's going to go to this God and say, oh, help me to do something to, have a better reincarnation. How can I prepare for life after death? You know what that God's going to say? The God's going to say, and so I, I pray that one day I'll get the chance to share the gospel with that little boy. I pray that one day I'll get to tell him 
that there is a God who made him. So he doesn't have to make a God himself. One day I'll get to tell him that he is the image of the true God. So he doesn't have to make an image of God to worship. You know, lots of Hindu people believe in karma. I hope one day, I pray one day, I'll get to tell that little boy No matter how many good things you do, you'll never be able to take care of your sin. But Jesus has already done that. And so by trusting in him, you can have one better. You can be forgiven. And one day I hope I'll get the chance to tell him that, you know, lots of Hindu people believe in reincarnation, that you'll have endless cycles of lives. I'll get to tell him that you don't have lots of lives. You've got one life. And then you're going to be judged by the man that God has appointed. And he's proven this. He's given us assurance by raising him from the dead. I pray that I'll get to have that conversation with him or his parents one day. And how are we going to do that? We're going to do that by, by noticing, by having conversations, and then by being ready to share the gospel and sharing the gospel when we have the chance. You know, I, I've done this before, but, but this is really, as I pray for our church, this is what I, I pray for. Um, how many of you have been Christians for at least five years? Raise your hands up. If you've been a Christian for at least five years, okay? Look, look around for a second. Keep your hands up. Okay, look around the people around you. That's, that's most of us, isn't it? You know, you can put your hands down. You know, some people have asked Hey, you know, do you want the church to grow? Don't you want to be a big church? And my answer is always, always the same. It's like, this is what I pray for. I don't want our church to grow just because, I don't know, because somebody over at Summit, like, put their foot in their mouth, and so then people come over here. Or what, what, I don't want a church to grow by sheep swapping, right? I pray that our church grows, but I pray our church grows like this. I pray, and I pray this with me, that in five years, in five years, if I ask that same question again, where I say, hey, raise your hand if you've been a disciple of Jesus for at least five years. I'm praying that only about half of the hands in here would go up. And I'm praying in five years, if I ask the question, if I say, raise your hand if you've become a disciple of Jesus in the past five years. I'm praying that about half the hands in the room would go up. And that lots of those hands would be Indian hands that right now are just like Sudhakar and Shailajah used to be before they became Christians. What if that little boy, what if we as a church devoted ourselves to praying, to noticing, to having conversations, and to sharing the gospel? What if that little boy that maybe right now he's making a new God. I don't know how many gods he needs. What if in five years he was in Northwest Kids learning about the true God? What if God did that through us? I believe that he wants to. Let's pray. God, we love you and we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your son. God, I, I pray for this church. Um, Father, there's so as we look around the people around us, there is so much idolatry. And God, I pray that you would use this church. I pray that you would use this church 
help people that are sitting here right now. I pray that you would provoke their spirits. I pray that as you, as they see idol worship around them, that in their heart they would say, that's not okay. That they would start noticing, that they would start having conversations, and that they would start sharing the gospel. God, I pray for that little boy that I had the conversation with who lives right next door here. God, I pray that you would save him. Save him from worshiping gods that he made to worshiping the God that made him. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.